Um, God, we thank you so much. Pray for Pastor Adriel uh, as he's in Chicago, and I know this is a, a hard day for him even as, as he's sending uh, Tonio uh, back to Spain, his, uh, his exchange student's son that's been with him for a whole year. We just pray for Adriel. We pray that he would know uh, your love this morning and, and that we're with him and that we love him, and, and uh, we're just very thankful for him. We pray for our time right now as we, as we uh, open up the Bible, as we say, God, what do you have to say to us this morning? This young church plant, uh, as we look at Jesus, how you bring us purpose. And, and I know even for Christians for, and for, for people that aren't Christians, we, we all struggle with finding our purpose. And I pray this morning you would draw us into deeper layers, deeper levels of, of surrender to you and of even finding you, maybe for the first time this morning. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Amen. Amen. All right, so we've been doing our sermon series. We're almost done uh, with the sermon series called Jesus, Come Hear the Good News. And so uh, we've been talking about all these things that we have in Jesus. Today, we're going to be talking about purpose, how Jesus brings us purpose. Now, I brought a few props this morning. The first one, I need to put this in a different pocket. Oh, and I forgot to come get a new battery from you. So <laughs> we'll see how we do. I could come back during the discussion. All right, this is a golf club. The purpose of this golf club is to take a small white ball and to get it into a hole. But normally what happens is that small white ball goes into the woods or goes into the water. And this golf club, instead of, I don't, I'm not a good golfer, being used as a golf club, uh, not that I've ever done this, but I've seen others, I would never do this myself, turn their golf club maybe into an aerial baton that gets thrown in the air and majestically flies like this, or maybe uh, try to use as an ax to chop a tree down, just because sometimes you have to celebrate those shots that go into the woods, you know, or, or into the water. But that's what a golf club is supposed to be for. You're supposed to hit a little white ball uh, into, into the, uh, the, the hole. Some, some are better than others at that. This is a, a, a part of a blender. Don't worry, there's, there's no blade. I won't, I won't harm myself or others or a teddy bear this morning. I know Alan was excited. He thought I was going to blend a teddy bear this morning. Maybe another time. Um, a blender is meant to blend things. Maybe, veg maybe your favorite vegetable, like we talked about earlier. You know, you can make, you make a smoothie out of a blender. I don't know what else you use a blender for. Milkshakes, smoothies, making solid things into liquid. That's what blenders are good for, right? And, and so uh, that's the purpose of this. And uh, we also have a teddy bear. A teddy bear, this, this is one of my teddy bears from when I was little. His name is Buttery Bear. And... Uh, Brooklyn now uses Buttery Bear as one of her teddy bears. But I remember I threw up on Buttery Bear once. Uh, bless his soul. He's been washed since then. Uh, teddy bears have a purpose. They are to snuggle, normally for young children. If you still snuggle with one, that is okay. They bring comfort um, and uh, companionship to young children. Now, if I were to use uh, Buttery Bear to try to hit a white ball into a hole, I might have better luck, frankly, than I do with the club. But uh, I don't think I would do so well. Not the purpose of a buttery bear. If I were to use uh, my golf club 
to try to make a smoothie with, I may make some progress smashing up things, but it's going to be a mess, and it's going to be gross, and it's not quite going to work out. Uh, if I use my blender to cuddle with or give to my four-year-old <laughs> to cuddle with in bed for comfort, hopefully that the blade would not be in, inside, because uh, if it was, it could potentially be fatal. Literally, this is a ninja. I feel like I'm doing the Home Shoppers Network now. The blades are so sharp in here, like just looking at them, you can chop your finger off. That's, that's what I have learned. Uh, so you don't want to lick these blades. You don't want to lick these to get the rest of your, of your smoothie off, just as a fair warning. Not a good idea if you use uh, a blender for the job of a teddy bear. Not a good idea if you use a teddy bear for the job of a, of a golf club. Now, if we were to do that, I think you would start to have a visual picture of some of the reasons, some of the reasons that I think so many of us are struggling today as human beings. As human beings, we were created for a purpose. We're created for a purpose, okay? God created us for a purpose. Just like a golf club has a purpose and a blender has a purpose and a teddy bear they have different purposes, God created us for a purpose. Now, I think the, the reason, not the reason, I should rephrase that. One of the reasons that can be a reason people struggle with things like addiction, depression, despair, and let's be honest, boredom. How many of us are just bored? How many Christians are just bored, right? I think because we're not living for the purpose that God created us to live for. I think a reason a lot of Christian kids rebel, a reason, is because we don't effectively communicate God's purpose for them as Christians. We're good at the thou shalt not in the Bible, aren't we? Especially with our kids. We're good with the thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. But what about the thou shalt? What about the reason that I was put here on this planet? Just very practically, what am I supposed to do? God, what am I supposed to do? N not for your salvation. We know you're saved by grace, but don't you want something to do from now until we, till we see Jesus in eternity? And that's what we're going to talk about today. So I put a picture of a horse up here on the screen. And I, I, as I've thought about the church over the years, I think the church is like a war horse, a horse that was bred for war. Now, the reason I use the war analogy is just because Scripture uses the war analogy. Scripture says we have an enemy, his name is Satan, and there's these illustrations of this battle going on between God and Satan, and we're a part of it. And I think the church is like a war horse. And, and, and what we've done is we've taken this horse and we've put it in a stable. Now, horses need stables, right? I'm not a horse person. I did work on a horse farm for a small six-month period. I, I fed the horses and, you know, I didn't, I didn't do much. They didn't let me do much. Uh, but, I, but I know the purpose of a stable. Stables are important. 
It, stables are, are safe places for a horse to, to be treated, uh, to become healthy, to, to eat. You, if you were to have a war horse, you'd need to make sure that the horse had, had proper horseshoes and was eating the proper foods and was healthy and, and had strong muscles. But the purpose of a war horse is what? To go to war. To go to war. That's the purpose of a war horse. The purpose of a war horse is not to live in a stable looking really good and looking really shiny. We're going to come back to that example a little bit later. But I think the church has become a war horse that never leaves the stable. There's a lot of good things we do in the church that you have to do. You can't just send a horse to war. There's really important things to do for a horse to be healthy. And I think in some respects, the church is healthy because of those things that we've done. But they're all defensive maneuvers. They're all preservation maneuvers. They're not sent out going to war. So we're going to come back to that. First, we're going to talk a little in our groups, and I want you to think about a time when you, and I hope some of you have some funny stories here. I'm hoping, hoping somebody's got a good story. A time when, when you tried to use something that it wasn't designed for, and it didn't go well. So maybe there was a, a handyman or handywoman story of yours where you attempted and it turned into Tim the Toolman Taylor kind of, kind of thing, right? Uh, for, for me, my quick story, when we were in fifth or sixth grade, we all bought slingshots on a, a class field trip. Uh, and uh, my, we went to the grocery store and we bought grapes. Now, what are grapes meant to be used for? Eating? Okay, we use them uh, in a different way. We set up our bikes in the park. And anyone remember the show American Gladiators? Okay, so we had two of us up at the top of the park with a bucket of grapes <laughs> and slingshots. And then one or two of us would try to run from bike to bike to bike as the other was pelting them with grapes. That was fun. Until my friend Scott got hit in the eye with a grape. And he had to go to the hospital, and he had a grape skin stuck in the back of his eye. And the doctor said, I've never seen this before. <laughs> and said, you're lucky that you still have your eye. Praise God, he still had his eye. And the doctor removed the grape. I don't think, even now as I tell you the story, maybe it's the first time I've ever thought of how serious that, <laughs> that, that could have been. <laughs> I've always just thought, oh, it's funny, we shot Scott in the eye with a grape. So that was my great, that was my story of using something for a purpose it wasn't quite designed for. Okay, so talk about that in your group. And then number two, list all the different life purposes you can think of that people live for. Okay, so, so I, I don't want to make this personal intentionally. It's not what are you living for. Just think about our culture at large, good and bad, right? There's good purposes and there's not so good purposes. And there's a lot probably in between. Just list as many as you can different life purposes purposes uh, that, that different people live for. We've got about five minutes, and then we'll come back together. All right, we're going to go through some scripture this morning, 
And again, this is one of these topics, Bible says a lot about purpose, right? So we're gonna try to focus in on what Jesus says about purpose. And as followers of Jesus, what does it look like for us to find our purpose in Jesus? And we're gonna find that it is very different than what the, the world, quote unquote, tells us where to find purpose. Just look at this first passage from Jesus in Mark 8. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple, ask yourself that. Do I consider myself a disciple of Jesus? Yes or no? They must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. We're gonna come back to verse 35. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Now, that was a lot, just in three verses. And we're not gonna spend our whole time on these three verses, but I'd encourage you to go back to these three verses and really think about what Jesus is saying here. Verse 35, with the numbers up there, is completely backwards from the, what the world tells us, okay? The world tells us, and, and it's okay if you believe this, right? Because we're part of the world. Like, this has been ingrained in you since the day you were born. It says, he says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. That's backwards from what we've been told. So the idea here of saving your life is, I'm gonna do things for myself. You wanna, you wanna live this amazing life? Turn on a TV and any TV commercial you see is gonna tell you how to live an amazing life. And it involves buying that product, right? Or living a certain lifestyle. And I, I, I saw a, a Facebook post from a friend this week and it was his 365th day of being sober, okay? And, and he's, a young, he's a young guy uh, in, his, in his 20s, and he wrote on there, I can't remember the exact wording of it, but he said, um, it's, it's been 365 days of actually living life, of actually living life. Just to be, you know, to be clear, the Bible is against drunkenness, okay? So, um, he was not able to drink alcohol responsibly. He was a young guy getting drunk regularly, partying, partying, partying. That was his life. And our world, in a way, would say, that's how you live life. I mean, come on, let's be honest. Like, you go to high school, you go to college. If you go to college, our world literally thinks that's just what college is for. Like, you just go to college and you just go crazy and get drunk all the time and sleep around and experiment with drugs, whatever it might be, right? And my point is just from my friend, he was living that life, and it was just really, I don't know, ironic. It was powerful. It was powerful to hear him say, my 365 days of being sober I'm actually living life. It's the first time in my adult life that I've actually lived life. Not living the life that the world says brings me life. Jesus is saying kind of something similar here. He's saying if you want to save your life, if you want to basically just have as much hoarding in as much stuff for you as possible, whether in my friend's case, it's pleasure. We would call that hedonism when it comes to life philosophies. I'm just gonna live for pleasure. I'm like an animal. I'm gonna, I'm gonna satisfy all my cravings as much as I possibly can. If you wanna save your life, Proverbs 5 says, at the end of your life, you will groan. You will groan at the end of your life. And you will say, oh, how I hated discipline. 
Oh, how I didn't listen to that sermon on June 5th, 2022. How I spurned correction. Jesus says you're gonna lose your life if you live that way. If you hoard everything for yourself, let's say you're just piling up more and more treasure, you're building bigger and bigger barns, as Jesus talks about. At the end of your life, you're not gonna look and say, I'm a rich man or woman. Jesus says you're gonna look at your life and you're gonna, you're gonna say, ah, oh, all this and this is it? This is it? Versus whoever loses their life for me, Jesus says, and for the gospel will save it. What is he talking about? He's talking about denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following him. He's talking about the, the, the question that would lead us to an answer. And you really have to ask yourself this. Again, if you call yourself a disciple in verse 34, have you ever said, Jesus, I want to follow you instead of following myself? If I were to lay out those two paths this morning and say, you have to have picked one or the other. There's a path of following Jesus here, and there's a path of following yourself here. Which one are you on? There's only two. Is Jesus the king of your life, or are you the queen or king of your life? That is a sobering question. That's a sobering question, but it, it's getting to the root of our purpose. It's getting to the root of our purpose, okay? This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible, John 6. We could spend a lot of time here. I would encourage you to read from John 6 when Jesus starts the feeding of the 5,000 all the way through the end of the chapter. And it ends, this is the very end of the chapter, and many of his disciples were leaving him. He just did this amazing miracle. And oh, this is such a fun sermon. We'll do this one sometime. Um, but I want to point out one phrase that, Je that Peter says to Jesus. So picture Jesus, he has like 20,000 people. He has all their attention. He's feeding them miraculously. And then they all leave him because they want him to do more miracles. Do it again, Jesus, do it again, Jesus, do it again, Jesus. And he has this, this crazy line. He's like, I didn't come for you to just eat fish and bread. I didn't come for you to just see me do miracles. I came that you'd feed off of me, that I would be your bread. I'm the bread of life. Feed off of me. Feed, feeding off of Jesus. And they're like, we don't want to feed off of Jesus. We want to eat some fish sticks. You know, that's what we're here for. Like, we want fish and chips. We don't want Jesus. So they left him, and he wasn't going to do more miracles to get them to stick around. He's like, that's not what I came for. What he does, he looks at his 12 disciples, and he says, are you going to leave too? This is, I came that you'd learn to feed off of me. Are you going to leave too? That's what he just said in verse 67. 68, Peter answered him. Check out this line. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I want to tell you that line from Peter has helped me, maybe more than any other verse in the Bible, when it's come to my own struggles in my faith, doubts about my faith, the deconstruction of faith that, that some of us have gone through. Honestly, ask yourself that question. Those of you that have known Jesus and have experienced Jesus, Lord, to whom should we go? Where else would we go? Here's the truth. Everybody is following something. There are no agnostics. That doesn't exist. There's no atheists. Everybody has a God. Everybody has a shepherd. Everybody's following something. It might be the latest TV commercial. That might be who you're following. Everybody has a rabbi. 
Jesus was a first century rabbi. He said, come follow me. All of us are following something. It might be a philosophy. It might be our own philosophy. It might be ourselves. We might be our own God. But everybody's following something. And Peter knew that all of these other purposes, all the other purposes offered to him are not going to cash out in the end. At the end of his life, he knew they're going to end up empty. And he looked at Jesus and he said, where else would we go, Jesus? You have the words of eternal life. So I want to ask you this morning as we go through this sermon, does your alternative to Jesus, your thing that's better than following Jesus, is it going to cash out in the end? Or is it going to be one of these where you tried to save your life and you ended up losing it? Just think about that. These are really, really deep, deep principles about our purpose. So we're going to talk about kingdom. We're going to talk about kingdom a little bit. Jesus' kingdom. And for those of you that were around uh, during, I guess it would be the wintertime, when we were in our, our launch team phase, our, our recruitment phase, getting up for our launch, we were in that room over there, and we were talking about the kingdom. And we talked about four components to a kingdom. Okay? And they're, they're pretty basic. Okay, one of them, to have a kingdom, the number one thing you need is a king. Okay, you need a king and a kingdom. Jesus talks a lot about his kingdom, so that's what we're going to talk about here. You need a king. The other part of the word kingdom, think of the word dominion. That's where that word comes from. A kingdom needs a dominion, so it needs, it needs land. It, there's borders to a kingdom up next to the other kingdom. There's multiple kingdoms, so a kingdom needs a dominion where, where that, that king dominion reigns. Number three, a kingdom needs subjects. So subjects within a kingdom, those subjects can either loyally follow their king or they can rebel against the king, right? They can say, we don't like this king. We're going to kill this king. We're going to throw this king out. We're going to, I'm going to be the new king. Come follow me instead. And we, that's how probably half the countries in the world started, right? And fourth, the last thing is in this dominion, there are commands. There's commands from the king. There's commands from the king. Those are four components of a kingdom. Those are four components of Jesus's kingdom. When he says, you're going to come follow me, uh, I, I, Jesus is the king of his kingdom. Or within the Trinity, sometimes you'll see passages where Jesus looks at the Father as the king, like he does in the Lord's Prayer, that it's the Father's kingdom come. Okay, so here's some parables that Jesus talks about the kingdom. Matthew 13, this little section is full of parables where he says, the kingdom is like this, the kingdom is like this, the kingdom is like this. So the kingdom of heaven, he says, is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. So there's a hiddenness to Jesus' kingdom. I feel that. Don't you kind of wish it wasn't hidden sometimes? <laughs> Wouldn't it be a little easier? I kind of wish it wasn't hidden sometimes. But I mean, this is the first century. Jesus is saying, my kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field. If you look out at a field, next time you drive by a field, look out. What's the difference between one field and the next field and the next field? They all look the same. You wouldn't know that there's a, a treasure under this one field unless you were told there's a treasure there. And, and it says, this kingdom is like this man who found that treasure. He sold everything he had, and he bought the field so he could have the treasure. He sold everything he had. 
Verse 45, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. He found one pearl of great value. He went away and sold everything he had and he bought it. Do you see a trend here? Peter says, Lord, to whom will we go? You're it. You are it, Jesus. Jesus says, lose your life for the gospel and you'll save it. These parables both say the kingdom is worth giving up all you have if needed. The kingdom is more valuable than anything that this world has to offer. So I continue to drive down my question for you and for me this morning. What are you holding back? What are you holding back? What are you holding back when it comes to Jesus' kingdom? The treasure's in the field, and you'll say, I kind of like that field. I'll sell this, but I'm not selling this. <laughs> I like Jesus to be the king of this area of my life, but not so much this area of my life. Allow the Holy Spirit to begin speaking to you as you ask that question. So here we have the Lord's Prayer again. We keep coming back to the Lord's Prayer and in it Jesus is saying, this is how you should pray. Pray that your kingdom come, the Father's kingdom comes, that God's will is done here on earth as it is in heaven. I want you to think about the way things are done in heaven. We know that this world is not like heaven. Victoria reminded us of that this morning. In our, in our anti-racism devotional, we see rampant gun violence in our country and go, this is not like heaven. We see rampant systemic racism in our country and we say, this is not like heaven. We see people that don't know Jesus and we say, this is not like heaven. Think about heaven. One, one of the funny things about heaven, not funny, it's just if you were really to think about God saying, bring your kingdom, come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. There aren't any lost people in heaven. You can't evangelize in heaven. You can't, you can't lead people to Jesus in heaven because everybody is already there. That everyone, everyone already is a believer. That's how we're in the new earth with Jesus. So when Jesus says, pray that God's kingdom would come, that, that his will would be done, these are the things he's telling us to do here on earth is to evangelize, to tell people about Jesus, to bring justice, to bring equity, to let uh, justice roll down like a never-failing stream, like a never-failing river, like Victoria read in Amos. It's to look at our, at our, at our, at our, our own personal lives. Uh, Jesus talks a lot about sex. The Bible talks a lot about sex, and it's about having strong singles that are that know who they are in Jesus. Okay, Jesus talks about sex being meant for marriage only. And our culture says, no way. If you want to save your life, go and have sex with whoever you want. Jesus says, and the Bible says, sacrifice yourself sexually for marriage, marriage alone. Part of bringing his kingdom here, and we're going to do a whole series on sex. So I don't, it's, it's, it's a huge, huge, huge subject. That's coming down the pipe. But part of this kingdom come here is to have solid families and strong singles who buy into Jesus' kingdom when it comes to his design, 
his design. Again, back to that question. Am I following Jesus's path? Is he the king or am I following my own path? Am I the king or queen of my own life? Huge stuff. Okay, this is a beautiful picture. Could you picture the earth being heaven? Could you picture there being no more war, no more mass shootings, no more racism, no more affairs, no more broken hearts, no more children without parents? What a beautiful place. You know who doesn't want that? Satan. Remember back to the war horse? We are in a war. 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 Satan does not want this to happen. Our purpose as followers of Jesus is to be a part of God using us to make this happen. We're going to get to that. But Satan does not want this to happen. Jesus says, there's a thief. He's talking about Satan. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they, that's speaking of us, his sheep, may have life and have it to the full. Satan is real. And, and there's three lies from Satan that I just quickly want us to look at as we look at this, this question of our purpose. The first lie from Satan is that heaven and hell aren't real. And this might be different for you based on your age. Um, I feel like I grew up in a church culture that my really, really young age, like I remember being five years old, and <laughs> I'm not kidding, we were at a, uh, we, we just moved, we were in a new state, we were at a, a Christian school, but I was in kindergarten, it was like K through something school, I don't know what it was, and I remember in chapel, we had to go to chapel, the, the preacher, this was like old school, country, Baptist kind of, you know, school, the pre- <laughs> My memory as a five-year-old was a preacher on the front pew. So, like, we don't have pews. We don't even have a stage. We have, you know, got our rugs here. Let's pretend this is the stage. This is where the preacher's supposed to be. (laughs) Then you have pews. Remember those? Okay? The preacher would get on the front pew, stand up, and screaming at us as children. And I remember him spitting. Like, I remember the spit. I remember you didn't want to sit, like, here. Like, Dennis, you'd be in the spit zone right now. So you, you don't want to do that. About hell, right? And we've seen that. And that's not the gospel, right? So, so my generation, I think we, we, for some of us that grew up in church, or even if you look at like the street preachers and things like that, sometimes that's all you hear. And we go, that isn't the gospel. So we've, we swung, because we, we'd like to ride that pendulum all the way over to the other side. And there's really famous books that come out. It's like, maybe hell's not even real. And, and, and maybe it's like this, and maybe it's like that. And Jesus was talking about a, he was talking about a, a dumpster, a trash pit, Gehenna. It was a, it was a local, dump, it was a local um, dump. It was where they burned the trash. That's what he was talking about. It would be really cool if hell wasn't real. It'd be really great. It'd be great. The Bible consistently in the New Testament, and this isn't a whole sermon about that. I think we're going to do a sermon just on heaven and hell because I think it's really fascinating. But we've believed a lie from Satan that I don't think we really believe heaven and hell are real, particularly hell. Just think about it. If, if we did, if we really believed it, wouldn't we be sharing the gospel more? Right? Wouldn't we be? And I think we have to push against the pendulum. We have to push against the pendulum. So here's just one passage 
There's a lot of these. But remember the parable of the, of the pearl and the parable of the field? The verses right before it, Jesus had told a parable about the weeds that were, that were sowed into a wheat field. And he says, as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. They're the righteous. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Look, I don't know what hell's going to be like. I think my upbringing was a little too specific. The Bible is a little vague, but this doesn't sound good. All right, this doesn't sound, I'm not going to take any chances here. I'm like, I'm good. I think I'll go with, with the more sure bet that Jesus is clear there's a judgment day coming for all. The one parable right before this, he's talking about fish in a judgment day, and these ones are going to be thrown out, and these ones are going to be, there's a, we, we've become, like, that's not cool to talk about. But it's real, and we have a job to do, and it is to evangelize. It is to share this message of the kingdom with people that don't know Jesus. Number two, this will be really quick. Lie number two is distraction. Okay, lie number two from Satan is distraction. This is a quote from C.S. Lewis, this book called The Screwtape Letters. 1942 is when this was written. 1942. This is wild. In this book, uh, it's about a, a, a fictional kind of satire about conversation among demons and how demons work. It's all C.S. Lewis's imagination. Uh, but it's, it's really fascinating the uncle, senior demon, is writing to his junior demon nephew. Uh, and he writes this. He says, you will find that anything or nothing is sufficient to attract his wandering attention. That's the subject, that, that they're, like us. You no longer need a good book, which he really likes, to keep him from his prayers or his work or his sleep. A column of advertisements in yesterday's paper will do. You can make him do nothing at all for long periods. You can keep him up late at night, not roistering, which is like being wild and crazy, but staring at a dead fire in a cold room. All the healthy and outgoing activities which we want him to avoid can be inhibited and nothing given in return. So that at last he may say, check out this line, I now see that I spent most of my life in doing neither what I ought nor what I liked. The strategy of these demons in C.S. Lewis's 1942 book was not to make themselves obvious. Satan's goal is not to get you to worship Satan. His goal was not to get you to be roisterous. <laughs> it was to distract you. It was to distract you from doing what you should be doing. And don't read into this too much. I think staring into a fire can be nice and a part of our rest, right? But think about this in 2022. It wouldn't be a fire. It would be an iPhone, right? Or it's, it wouldn't be a good book. It would be Netflix or whatever it might be, right? But, and I'm not saying even those things aren't necessarily things that we need to get rid of. But how many times do those things distract us from the work that Jesus has called us to do? And when we commit our lives to those things, does that cash out in the end? So distraction is the second one. And the third one is to be religious. Lie number three from Satan is to be religious. Think about the horse stable. The horse stable at the beginning. That horse that's in the stable, very religious horse. I'm not saying all religion is bad. Religion, these rhythms, the religious rhythms, they are meant to get us healthy 
coming to church, singing songs, reading your Bible. They are meant to strengthen you. They are good if they're sending you out to do the work. But what happens with religion is we read the map and we think the map is the destination. The map is not the destination. If you're going to Disney World, Disney World is Disney World. The map to Disney World is not Disney World. Follow me? The religious leaders in the first century, the reason Jesus had such harsh words for them is because they believed that the religion was the destination and they lost God completely in the process. And that's when we get into serious trouble. James says religion that uh, God the Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Religion is an active action. That's what God intended religion to be. Here's what I proclaim to you now. I proclaim to you that the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is our invitation this morning. Worship team, you guys can come back up. And I I want us to meditate on this invitation from Jesus. Jesus was sending out his disciples and he says, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. I'm proclaiming to Mosaic Church, to anyone watching online, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus is inviting you to sell all you have for this kingdom. And I I want you to, right now, in this time, we're gonna have invitation, we're gonna have communion, we're gonna have people ready to pray with you. Just ask yourself the question, allow the Holy Spirit to ask you the question, what are you holding back? What are you holding back? What have you not sold? You're a Christian, you're following Jesus. What have you not sold for the kingdom? What is it you're holding back? And Jesus is saying, come find abundant life in me. Come find abundant life in Jesus. You won't find it out there. Come find it in Jesus. We as a church are going out. We're doing summer lights. We're gonna be doing cookouts in our front lawn. The last Sunday of each month, inviting the neighbors to come, getting to know our neighbors. God's opening some cool doors with some of our neighbors. We as a church, yes, we've launched, sure, on Easter, but we are, we're building this team. We're asking you, will you be a part of this team that goes out proclaiming this message? The kingdom of heaven has come near. Will you join us? For me, this is what gets me up in the morning. The purpose that God gave to Christians is to proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. It's gonna look different for different people. We all have a different part to play. We're all different members of this body.